Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Harry. Today I shall continue with Season 5 and our in-depth look into the films of this past decade and which films really made an impact to me and also to others in terms of standing out from the rest because of their originality, beautiful storytelling and just standout performances by the actors. So today I'm going to look at a film which I thought was the best film of 2019 and is easily in my top 10 films of this past decade. So today we shall talk about the 2019 comedy war drama Jojo Rabbit, written and directed by Taika Waititi and starring Roman Griffin Davis, Thomasin McKenzie, Sam Rockwell, Rebel Wilson and Scarlett Johansson. Every now and again a movie comes along where it deviates from the traditional way of storytelling and also in terms of labelling itself in a recognisable genre and from first glance there's always doubt to films that delve into this territory and from history the Coen brothers have gone onto that side with this unusual yet successful approach to this black comedy genre with this somewhat eerie suburban satire of everyday life. And it works, but it only works if you choose to watch it as the audience, if you choose to witness something that's not conventional. The publicity for these films is not one to heavily influence many filmgoers. It's not a blockbuster. It's typically classed as out there, and it's a little far-fetched. And many don't take the risk in watching these movies. Movies like Raising Arizona, Burn After Reading, The Hunt for the Wildebeest People. But with critics and more cinephiles these days, and with social media, we've been given the gift of being influenced by what others say or express. And this is one of the many advantages to social media, to invite people to watch these films that they ordinarily would not. Jojo Rabbit is a very hard film to pitch or promote, but at the same time it becomes quite curious to many, a satire war drama that is focusing on something quite stern and yet manages to keep you laughing at every turn, and yet makes you sad in the backdrop of it, and it's this level of diverse emotion that is tremendously hard to pull off. It would take something quite unconventional for it to do that. And what you end up with is something quite unique, in fact beautiful, and Jojo Rabbit is exactly that. It's one of the most magnificent movies that has come out and the tone was nailed flawlessly considering the backdrop of Nazi Germany. I remember looking at the poster and thinking this looks quite goofy, this just looks like one of those airplane movies, one of those random coming of age spoof movies with a little twist and that was my general expectation for this movie and this goes back to what I was saying, it didn't invite a lot of people in, it relied on trust and word of mouth spreading about what Taika tried to do here. Now, if you're familiar with his work, like Thor Ragnarok or Hunt for the Wildebeest people, especially if you had the knowledge of who he was and what he was about, then that might have enticed you. When it comes to these dicey stories, these movies with unconventional genres, genres you can't quite pin the movie on, is that they attract people who know a lot about these movies and they end up being usually actors. And so they attract talent like Scarlett Johansson and Sam Rockwell and they would fundamentally be one of the biggest selling points for this kind of movie. So you have to hand it to these actors using their star power to promote these kind of films. You have to really thank them for recognising themselves and putting themselves out there so they can promote this movie. It's like when Bruce Willis did The Sixth Sense. No one really knew who M. Night Shyamalan was, the director and the writer of the movie, but Bruce Willis was one of the biggest selling points for The Sixth Sense. It wasn't Shyamalan. He was an unknown Indian-American director, but of course Bruce Willis was just coming off Armageddon, a massive blockbuster. Everyone knew who Bruce Willis was from Die Hard, and this still happens a lot with actors. And some people choose not to see, like Matt, Matt Dillon in The House That Jack Built, directed by uh, Lars von Triers, who has managed to attract the, inten- you know, the attention of 
Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst, even Johnny Depp has gone and said, before I die, I want to be in one of his films. So you have all these radical auteurs like Lars von Triers, like Gaspar Noir, like Taika, who don't really follow certain generic genres, but instead follow a style of their own, which to us is considered very far-fetched, and in this case, very goofy and random. Jojo Rabbit surprised me, and that's what you want. You want to be, you want to provoke entertainment. You want to be shocked no matter how it comes to you. Now, I wasn't a fan of Taika originally. He's very comedic and very over the top. That being said, though, I did really enjoy Thor Ragnarok and also The Hunt for the Wildebeest People with Sam Neill. But there were elements of both movies where I thought the comedy was very slapstick, very childish for me, kind of like Jim Carrey doing a movie. I was a bit hesitant about him, but nonetheless, the whole film as a whole, was beautiful and it had a clear vision and he you can see his talent in all of these movies for him to be asked to do a marvel film and work with the likes of sam neill and the hunt for the wildebeest people demonstrates and invites curiosity about who this guy really is and what he's about but it wasn't until the oscar season that i start seeing jojo rabbit keep popping up and i knew it was this guy taika who i knew it was his new film and i saw the poster ages ago and it kept coming up and it didn't really pull me in as interesting as i thought a world war ii comedy could be I knew it would be somewhat slapstick. But anyways, then I saw that Scarlett Johansson was in it, Sam Rockwell, who's one of my favourite actors, was in it. And the film was being nominated for Best Film, Best Acting, Best Actress. So I thought, okay, so the critics must love this. He's established himself and he's given himself and the studio enough reason to trust him. So, you know, he's got full authority here. So I was somewhat curious about what he did with this movie. So I watched it. And you know what? For the first couple of minutes, 10 minutes, in fact, I was... I was cautious about this film's potential. I knew Taika was doing his own thing, clearly, but I wasn't sure where this film was going. I didn't read about it. I didn't want to. I just knew others found this film dazzling, and the more and more the movie unfolds, it becomes beautiful. I laughed. I cried. I mean, it really did its job, and then some. And soon I was in Taika's world, Taika's vision, and he accomplished almost the perfect movie, in my opinion, and did so with a clear vision. And the really important thing I took away from this is that he stuck to his guns. And that's what I love about him. He didn't try to do anything else. He didn't try to be anything else. He didn't, he wasn't influenced by money by the studio just because he got established now. He stuck to what he knew and he probably produced one of the best films of the decade. I think once everyone got where the film was going, it was hard not to take your eyes off it. You were fully engaged, fully invested into this story of Jojo. And the risk of watching a film that doesn't look appealing at first glance, but turns out to be this amazing journey of discovery, sadness and friendship, really is why people should take the risk when watching any films, no matter what their initial reaction should be. The famous saying, never judge a book by its cover, it goes hand in hand with movie posters or movie trailers. This film is a classic example of hidden gems, a hidden talent. Also, much more importantly, this film is a classic example of cinematic progress, of authenticity, of originality, and that, for me, is exciting. So for those who haven't seen Jojo Rabbit or just need reminding of the film's plot, it's about a 10-year-old boy living throughout the height of World War II and he idolises Hitler, obsessed with being a Nazi, and he looks up to them in an understandable, naive way considering his father's absence, and he lives with his mother, played by Scarlett Johansson. Later on, he discovers that his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their house, which causes his world and beliefs to be turned upside down and looks for comfort and guidance through his imaginary friend Adolf Hitler, who is actually played by Taika Waititi. I think he wore a fat suit for that role as well, actually. So I was I was sceptic about him playing Adolf Hitler. I'm always sceptic about directors playing roles in their movies. I mean, if it's a cameo, that's fine, you're just walking past. But if you're playing a specific talking role, which is predominantly in the movie, then I'm a bit hesitant. 
So I thought he would bring the film down a bit, but he does manage to capture the tone spot on. He adds to this transition of emotions throughout this film, and it was a great decision to play the role. And also as a director, because he's also consistently shares the scene with Roman, who is, you know, amazing in this film. And he does carry this film, and he's only 10 years old, so I think he's part there for support as well. And Taika is actually part Jewish, and they even asked him at a festival, why did you want to play Adolf Hitler? And he said, well, what better way to say fuck you to the guy? And he also said he did not, he did absolutely no research whatsoever when playing Hitler, simply saying that he's an absolute effing C-word. And he didn't even do any research for Hitler, just simply saying he's not worth any more of my time. Taika describes this movie as a love letter to his mother and single parents everywhere, realising how hard single parents must work to raise children and live their own lives. And this film is an appreciation for this. He said that the message should connote is that we need to be more tolerant and spread more love and less hate. He also made this movie because he believes that this generation was forgetting about the travesty of World War II and he wanted to remind people, especially the new generation, the millennials, that this happened and it was awful and that we should never forget because people cried when World War II was over and he wanted to make a movie where we would see this at the end and the emotions from all parts of this war and I think he nailed it and better yet, he did it from a viewpoint of a little Nazi kid which was a very, very unique vantage point. So a nice thing about this movie, more specifically the genre of war being portrayed here, is how vibrant this picture is. It's full of happiness and colour and dancing and singing, despite this bleak backdrop of a real-life event happening in the background of World War II in Nazi Germany. And it was Taika who did some research and discovered that actually Germany in the 40s was actually quite vibrant and fashionable in those times, and he deliberately shied away from the usual characteristic greyness of war movies and decided to express the fashionable, colourful side of history with this use of costume and colour, and it's somewhat accurate too. So when he was doing his research, and this serves parallel to the tone of the movie, the smiles despite the war, the colours especially from Scarlett Johansson, who does everything to keep hopes alive and smiles on people's faces, it's just a beautiful touch on the movie, especially with the genre. And it's a beautiful performance from Scarlett Hansen. And the idea of colour in this movie is symbolic and just beautiful to look at. I mean, colour, I think, works wonders in movies where, you know, where there shouldn't be any or where we assume there shouldn't be any colour. Even though in this film it's historically accurate that Germans were quite fashionable back then. But for instance, a film like uh, Mad Max Fury Road, the, the reason the film was so good, in my opinion wasn't the action but it was the use of color in this dystopian deserted bleak world of mad max and it really helps drive the movie excuse the pun and it certainly does here for jojo rabbit it's very easy on the eyes and that's what taika was trying to achieve quite possibly without even knowing what he was doing that he reflected the themes of this movie he's a very laid-back director he doesn't care about the actors and their lines like kubrick or david fincher as long as they can memorize and say it fast enough for it to be believable then he doesn't mind much and he even goes and says that in a magazine his laid-back persona somewhat shows in this film not in a negative way but in fact acts as a casual performance which cements the realism of the characters and more importantly, the relationship with the mother and son, and also the friendship that eventually happens between the Jewish girl and the boy as well. The vision, like I said before, is so clear for Taika. His visuals is everything, and his only priority is selling the tone of this story and connote this message that he wants to express to audiences. One of the heartbreaking moments of this film is the shock to find that Rosie, played by Scarlett Johansson, Jojo's mum, ends up being hung for trying to do what's right. And it's a scene that really was done in the most realistic and yet delicate way possible to us as the audience. The way it's framed, I mean, you never see her face. We just recognise it 
from her shoes, which is why the framing of the movie early on makes notice of her shoes, particularly for that reason. But I was especially, I found that scene so moving that we didn't need to see her face. We knew who it was. And it was just, even in an interview, Tyker says, it's not for us to see. It's only for Jojo to see in his acting, his performance for a 10 year old boy in that scene. is just brilliant. And it really sells. But yeah, that moment just, you know, floors the audience's emotions. It absolutely kills it. Obviously, it's sad, but this story brings you back to the reality of this war, and the movie pulls you back from this satire way of telling a war story and to remind us, yes, it's a comedy, but remember, this is still set during World War II. There are hints about that being foreshadowed in the movie. I mean, Rosie's fate was foreshadowed by her, you know, herself when she and Jojo go to the gallows, and he asked her, what do they hang people do? And Scarlett Johansson simply answers what they could and later when they're having dinner, uh, Rosie, in the character of her husband, Jojo's father, tells Jojo to take care of his Rosie because she's doing what she can. Eventually, Jojo finds out Rosie was hung from the gallows as well. And one thing I did notice was um, when the Gestapo enter his house, the scene with Steve Merchant, you know, the really tall guy with Ricky Gervais, they ask him if they knew where, um, in the movies, they ask him where they know uh, where she is, and they say no which means they already hung her and they knew that. So they just wanted to see his reactions because of her hate for the Nazi party. That's why they searched the house in the first place, which I didn't catch on to until the end of the movie. So that scene, by the way, where they greet each other with Heil Hitler, which was done 31 times. And that was done deliberately by Taika just to show how ridiculous some of the Nazi protocols were. It also acts as a very comedic... um, Uh, outlook for the audience as well but one of my favorite actors in this movie is sam rockwell who plays klasendorf and it seems that with every movie he plays this hateful dickhead but turns out to have a good heart like in free billboards outside ebbing missouri and also in richard jules as well he's a fantastic actor and in this film oh my god he is truly a great character this actually marks the third film in a row that sam rockwell has been in that's been nominated for best picture so this was nominated, Jojo Rabbit. Then it was um, Vice. And then the year before that, of course, was Free Billboards um, in Ebbing, Missouri, which is where he won uh, Best Supporting Actor. In fact, this is actually the second film where Sam Rockwell and Scarlett Hansen appear in the same movie. They're both in Iron Man 2 as well. Anyway, but yeah, he based his performance on a German Bill Murray, actually, and perfected the accent by watching clips of Marlon Brando in war films. But it's that scene again, you know, when the Gustavo go around his house um, that I'll refer to, you know, when Sam Rockwell is seen bringing Jojo's mother's bike back into the home, claiming he it has a flat tire. As later revealed in the movie, this is most probably because he has just seen Rosie being hung and gone to check on Jojo as a father figure. Since he realized that the Gestapo would be at Jojo's house and took the bike to Jojo's house and tried to protect him. This also explains why he lied about Elsa, knowing that she wasn't his sister, but in fact probably Jewish. And this act, even though he plays a Nazi in this film, was almost emotional to watch to see him protect Jojo against the Gestapo, even though he is a decorated Nazi himself. Also, at the end of the movie, when he saves Jojo from being killed by the Americans, is just somehow emotional to us. Because he is a Nazi, but we still feel for him. And I don't think I've ever been upset from watching the Nazi being killed. And that's exactly what this film does to you. But but there is reason. If you look closely at the end, you can see that Captain Klausendorf and Finkel, the guy that always hangs around with him in the movie, are both seen wearing pink triangles on their uniform. Now, this references the relationship suggested between two of them throughout the film, as Nazis would mark the clothes of gay men with pink triangles. So it's with the assumption that Sam Rockwell and that guy were gay and homosexual and thus keeping it a secret, which adds more layers to his character. But, 
you know, despite you know, being not a full-on war movie, everything in this movie, from the tanks to the weaponry, are authentic. More authentic than some war films, actually, in the past. They keep true to the costumes, the style, the attitude of the Gestapo, and even the equipment that was carried around. And yes, the movie does go over the top for some comical values at times, but the times that it does do that, it's absolutely fine, and it's actually quite fitting to the development of the story. A, d- a good example of the use of costume is Hitler's outfit throughout the movie, which are you know consistently chronological with his life in power and also reflect how Jojo changes his opinion of him, which also serves as a reflection of the German increase in disenchantment. At the beginning, he is seen wearing this SA brown shirt's uniform worn during his rise to power, and Jojo at that moment idolizes him. He next appears in this official NSDAP uniform, which he wore after being Chancellor. By this point, Jojo's idolization has become wild fantasism. In the end, he appears just wearing the you know the field grey wartime uniform, the generic one. And his last scene where Jojo openly rejects him, he is wearing that grey tunic Hitler wore in his final public appearance just before he committed suicide. So they have done their research on a lot of things, just not on Hitler himself, as Tyker actually pointed out. The film does delve into the seriousness of this war despite it being a comedy and touches on everyday things like relationships and friendships that accumulate throughout this horror. And that's where I think Taika succeeds in this work of art, that he manages to create some pure friendships throughout the worst times in history to almost use it as an example that we can be kind to each other no matter what you're going through, no matter what period is happening in history or what your belief is, or what your agenda is. There's always room to be kind, to be nice, and to be understanding. I think that's Sam Rockwell's character especially, because it's hidden behind layers and layers of complexity, whereas Scarlet is quite black and white, and we know that she's pure. We know what her agenda is. We know that she's trying to do good, you know, and you know you know that she's uh, trying to do what's best. I mean, everything Jojo believes or believed in stops being fun and games when the magnitude of the Nazi regime cruelty impacts him directly. And that's when things start to get real. That's when things get personal. And that's when we decide to open our eyes and see things for what they truly are. And it's not by accident that the main character is a child. You can blame them for being taught a certain thing, but even this kid finds out the hard way what's right and what is wrong. Jojo has a kind heart and has shown that right at the start of the movie at the camp when he doesn't do what the others do in terms of the cruelty of the rabbit and thus blessing him with the name Jojo Rabbit. But it does remind him that it's good to be a rabbit, that rabbits are wise and cunning and they live to fight another day. But look, that is all I have time for with Jojo Rabbit. I think it's arguably the best film in 2019. Whether it's the best film of the decade, that's quite hard to say. I mean, it's, there's too much competition, but it's at a you know it's promising when a film like this comes out that holds no genre nor stereotypes. It's a work of art, and I hope many will keep an eye on Taika Waititi's work from now on because he is truly refreshing. But anyways, please subscribe to me on Spotify, Google, and iTunes, and I'm also on Instagram, Film Exploration AH, or lowercase, or one word. And thank you again for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.